0: Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 25. Our church and our home in Tukwila, the, the church owned the house that we lived in. It was there on the church property, and the parking lot of the church was between our house and the, and the church. And uh, and, so, and it was only about uh, a five-minute drive away from SeaTac Airport. And when I candidated for that church, the chairman of the deacons, he said, you know part of the job of being the pastor of this church is you have to provide a park and fly for all of the pastors in the Northwest, all of the, in our fellowship of churches. And I said, okay, yeah, whatever. And it was true. And uh, so everybody who knew me called up and said, hey, uh, we're flying out. Can you keep our car and take us to the airport? So yeah, we, we did a lot of that. In fact, when our kids were young, it was a uh, cheap, family night out we would put all of our kids in the minivan and the guests and we would go to and in fact when we were picking them up especially we would go early to the airport and uh, you know it had, they have a corkscrew drive-up and we went all the way to the top because it was fun and because we could park right next to the elevator and then on our way out we would collect the little uh, tokens that went with those went with those carts, and we would go turn them in, and we'd get maybe a buck, buck fifty, you know. So that was uh, how poor we were, and uh, how we entertained our children. That was back in the days when you didn't have to, you know, have all the security and all that kind of stuff at the airport. So one time a friend came who was driving a new Lincoln Town car, one of my few wealthy friends in the world, and And an older uh, couple and uh, needed to fly somewhere, and so we took their car to the airport. And and when when I dropped him off, he said, use the car while we're gone. And I thought, well, thank you very much, you know. And so when Friday night came uh, for our uh, Friday night date, Sue and I put our nice clothes on and got in the Lincoln Town Car and drove down through Tuckwilla, just like we owned the place. (laughs) Felt real important for one night. And that was a huge privilege for us because that was the days in which our cars were a long ways off of being a Lincoln Town Car, if you know what I mean. But it was also a privilege to call that man my friend because he was a godly man who used his considerable resources for the Lord's work. Just a very unique, unique man and a godly man. It was a blessing to know him. I want to talk to you today about the greatest privilege of all greater than driving a nice car or knowing a good man, the greatest privilege that we can have as believers in Christ is doing the ministry of Christ. And I want to read to you from Matthew 25 and take some thoughts from Matthew 25 about doing that ministry of Christ. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered to them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents brought five other talents and saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. Then I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. So you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as I considered this topic this week, I struggled between the two poles of this truth and the two poles are privilege and responsibility and I hope you can grasp the the privilege and the responsibility as we work through this passage what you need to understand is that Jesus used something very common to help these people understand a significant spiritual truth and the this truth well the privilege of ministry starts here Jesus is not personally carrying on the ministry the scenario Jesus painted was a common one. There, in that day, there were basically wealthy people and poor people, and the poor people were either owned by or worked for the wealthy people, and that was that. And so the wealthy landowner pretty much in that day functioned as kind of a CEO. He's the guy way at the top of the ladder who doesn't actually dirty his hands too much, but he guides the work of everybody else. And there were times when that CEO would say, I need to go to a far place and do some business to generate some revenue here, or I need to go on a, a family trip and I'm going to go away. Now, in that day, to travel anywhere took a long time. And so today, what a business trip might, I mean, you know, you can fly from here to Los Angeles, do business and come back in one day. Think of what it would have taken to travel 1500 miles. Back in the time of Christ, it would have taken months for a trip like that. And so the landowner, the the wealthy person, took his goods and and essentially said, here, you are my servants, I'm putting my belongings in your hands, I'm going to go into a far country, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to have an accounting of what you've done. The person given the goods was called a steward, and it literally means a house ruler. And the idea would be, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, a, an area of, of responsibility. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament ran the house for the, the fellow who was in charge of the jail in, in Egypt. He was the house ruler. So this man had house rulers, and he said, Here are my goods. Do business with them for me until I come back. So he left people in charge of his home and his business and the resources to do things. Now, the parallel to Christ comes along like this. Jesus Christ came here personally to initiate his ministry. And while he was alive for 33 years on the earth, in his human life, only three years of that were the ministry. And for three years, he walked about, he he spoke God's truth to people, he recruited people to be the house rulers, the stewards, the apostles, were the initial people there were 12 and then there were 70 and and uh, and then they multiplied out from there but there were these people he did the ministry he set everything up and here almost to the end of his ministry he's saying now guys the kingdom of God is like this and what he's saying is I'm the ruler I'm the owner and I'm getting ready to leave, and I am not personally going to be here doing ministry. Now, I understand, as you should, that Colossians 1.17 says Jesus holds the universe together. I understand, as Colossians one twenty seven says, that when we come to faith, he takes up residence in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I understand that Christ is advocating for me in heaven. So I understand that he is actively doing ministry today. But I also understand that he is not personally here in this world. He is not physically present. He does not preach his own word today. He does not reach out and touch people with his own hands like he did for those three years. He is the wealthy landowner who has now gone away into a far country, and he will return. Jesus is not personally carrying on the ministry. Jesus has entrusted his belongings to his servants. The word talent here has been misused and misunderstood in many ways. It has nothing to do with the word that we call physical talent. Our musicians have musical talent, and they also have a whole lot of practice time in to develop that talent. That's not talent here. The word talent is a transliteration of the Greek word. If you want to you know, amaze your friends and neighbors, you can learn a Greek word this week, talenton. They took the Greek word talenton and just whacked off the O-N and made it talent in English. Because there really wasn't an English equivalent. Because the word talent in the original language doesn't mean gold or silver or a specific item. It means something of value. Now, if in the text it had said he gave them talents of gold or talents of silver, it would mean a piece of gold, a weight of silver. The word talent in the Old Testament, the correlating word, means something that, it means a weight or a measure. Like we use the word pound to measure how much overweight we are. It's a pound, you know, or whatever. And the word talent really corresponds to some, some weight that had to do with a valuable possession. Clearly, Jesus didn't say he gave them talents of gold on purpose because if he had, we would only think that the kingdom of God, that what we do for the kingdom of God is give it money. And that's not the point here. The point here is that this this man who owned much took sizable things. I mean, if, if it was a talent of gold, it would have been a fortune. And if it was five talents of gold, it would have been a huge fortune. And he put large amounts of valuable possessions under their control. Really, what he's saying, in, in a sense what he's saying, is everything that I have is yours. Now go and use it for me. But there was a certain quantifying of how much he put under their control. And did you notice also that it says it was according to their ability? Let me just go sideways for a minute and say, that oftentimes in Christianity we think, well, boy, if I could just do what they do. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you can't do Because God has given you some possession, some talent on, based on your ability. That's the coolest thing. God's only going to hold you accountable for what he's put in your hands. God has entrusted his belongings to his servants. Now, what are those valuables? What are the belongings he has placed with us? Well, I'm just going to touch on a few of them. But the first one certainly is the word of God. And that would that would start and focus on the gospel from a child from childhood Paul told Timothy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable it's valuable for reproof, for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete or mature, perfected, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How valuable is this when we look at the world around us and all of the ways of thinking that are so barren and useless. People try all kinds of things to make their lives work. And none of it works. This is what helps people get saved and what helps people get their lives squared away. The Word of God is... I don't know how you separate the Word of God from salvation, so don't get me wrong. My personal salvation is my most my most valuable possession. But in terms of what God has put in my hands to use, the Word of God is the most valuable thing. Many years ago... I thought I might try buying and selling cars as a way to make a few extra bucks. Go ahead, you can laugh. I was young and foolish. And as I drove around Boardman, Oregon, I noticed this car with flat tires. Been sitting there a long time. I thought, I bet I could get that car really cheap and I can fix it up a little bit and sell it and make some money. So I bought the car. I I really insulted the kid that owned it Uh, he he worked at the grocery store, and and I I basically, I said, man, I can't give you more than 50 bucks for that car. And, oh, man, that was harsh, that was harsh. But finally, he sold it to me for 50 bucks. And I put some spark plugs and some gas and some oil and got it running sort of, I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I gotten into? I called up the junkyard, and I said, hey, uh, would you buy this car from me? Does it run? <laughs> oh, yeah, it runs. <laughs> well, you drive it in here, then we'll see. And so I had, that, that was a half an hour away, down the freeway. I drove the car to Hermiston, Oregon, to the junkyard. And I said, oh, God, please let it start when the man comes to look at this car. <sighs> He came out, and I started, and it started up. I said, yes. I think I got 60 bucks for the car. <laughs> I don't remember the exact figures. It was real close to that, but I know I made $5. And if you count my time in, I lost probably 100 So, That was an unprofitable investment. It was a foolish investment. It was a speculative investment. But the Word of God is an investment that always pays off. It always does work. God said, My word, the way my word will be that goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me void, empty, useless, barren. But it will accomplish what I please. And it will prosper. It will be profitable in the thing for which I sent it. Folks, there is nothing more valuable that you can invest your life in than the Word of God. It will change your life, and it will change other lives through you. This is the most valuable thing that God has put in our hands for ministry, His Word. He has gone to heaven. He's not going to speak the truth by Himself. He's given it to us to give out for Him. The second thing that the the Lord has given us is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Um, In John 14, Jesus said, and And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word another in Greek indicates another of the same kind. Somebody like me, another divine helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Jesus was referring here to the the fundamental change that occurred from the Old Testament era to the New Testament era. When he said, he dwells with you, he was with the people of God, but now he's going to be in you. Every person who accepts Christ as their Savior receives the Holy Spirit implanted in. And the Spirit does many things in us and through us. 1 Corinthians 12.12 says he places us into the body of Christ. Romans 8.26 says he translates our prayers to God. John 16.8 says he convicts us of sin. Galatians 5.22 says he produces the fruit of Christ-like character. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that he enables us to understand the truth of God. Romans 8.16 tells us that he gives us the awareness and confidence of being a child of God. His very name, Comforter, means that he comforts us. The reason that so many of our senior saints have gone to be with the Lord out of a time of peace, even when facing their own death, is because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, confirming in them that they know the Lord. How valuable is that? How valuable is it to know down in your soul, yes, I'm a child of God. Yes, I'm ready to meet the Lord. What a tremendous, tremendous possession God has given us in the Holy Spirit. The third thing that the the Lord has given us is a spiritual gift. In Ephesians 4, 7, we read this, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. One of the results of Christ's victory over sin, death, and Satan made it possible for us to become righteous and therefore ready to receive a spiritual gift, which he also gives us at salvation. As a believer, I have the ability and you have the ability to make a contribution to the ministry of Christ in the church and outside of the church as well. You don't need to feel useless or incapable or unskilled, if you're a believer in Christ, you have a gift and you can use it for the Lord. Now, stick something in Matthew 25 so we can flip back there in just a minute, but I want you to turn to the book of James. The reason I want you to turn is because I want you to underline a verse if you never have. I would encourage you to. You know, you don't have to, obviously, but... And it's James 1.17, because... The fourth thing that I want to talk about in the valuables that Christ has put into our hand is every good thing in your life. Look at James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now in this chapter that verse sits in the context of a contrast with where sin comes from. He's asked the question, why do you fall into sin? And he he talks about that. He says, but in contrast to that, he says sin comes up out of your own sinful human nature, but in contrast that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing in your life comes from God. When we ask the question, what are the valuables that Christ has deposited with us while he has gone into the far country and and with which he wants us to serve him, the fourth category is the catch-all. It's every good thing in your life. Now tell me, I want you to shout it out. I want you to tell me what the good things in your life are. Grandkids. Grandkids. Who said grandkids? (laughs) Grandkids. Gotta get a witness on grandkids? Where are you at, Linda? There you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grandkids. Okay. Hey, are your grandkids the Lord's or yours? You know how, you know how that makes a big difference, don't you? Because we're going to have some missionaries here in a few days, and some of them are from the far-flung parts of the earth. Will you let your grandkids go to the far-flung parts of the earth and only see them every four years? Only? if they're gods only if you see them as gods say yes it's a wonderful blessing from God but they're gods and he gets to use them tell me something else that's a good thing in your life Children children and their spouses ditto something else husbands yeah absolutely wives something else friends Shelter, is your home, does your home belong to God? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to respond to all these questions because I want you to think. And Here's what I'm saying. The way you know whether what you have belongs to God is what this parable teaches. Are you actively using it to create more ministry for Christ? See, He has given you a home, and, and He's given you a home according to your ability. Some of you have big homes. Some of you have small homes. Some of you have teeny homes. Some of you have homes that need to be fixed up. That's great. The Lord has given you a home according to your ability. Are you using it for the Lord in some fashion? What else has He given you? golf. There you go. It's Recreation is a blessing from God. It is your recreation subject to being used by God for ministry. Or is your recreation just yours and you get to do it and nobody does it with you? This is my recreation. Have you ever thought about your recreation belonging to God? What's something else? Music. Wonderful music we have and wonderful musicians. And you have music in your life and probably have as many styles of attachment as we have people here. Is your music for God and for his ministry? What else? nobody has mentioned your job your money did your job come from God does your money come from God you see one of our problems in in considering Christ as the master and you know the word Lord the Lord Jesus Christ the word Lord means master that word Lord Jesus Christ rolls right off of our tongue. But to stop and say, wait a minute, he is the Lord. He is the Lord in this parable, and he's given me all of these good things. Is 10% of the money his? No, oh, no, I'm a big tither. I give 11%. So 11% of it his, now the other 89%, that's mine? Absolutely. The greater point, though, is to say, you know what? God has put all of the money in front of us. And it's not about how much we give to the church. It's saying, are we using this in some way that encourages his ministry in the world? Now, that doesn't mean giving it all away. Some of that money pays the payment on your house where you have a home Bible study. Some of that money help support your kids when they go to college to learn their career and do their service for the Lord. You know, all those things. I understand that. I am not arguing for you to sell everything and give it away. I'm arguing what Christ argued, which is this. He gave us his valuables. And he says, are you going to use them for me? Are you going to use them for me? And this principle of every good thing, of every good thing coming from God is also the basis of worship. When we're singing, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me, part of what should be going through our mind is, thank you, Lord, for my house, and thank you, Lord, for my car, and thank you, Lord, for my wife, my husband, my children, my grandchildren, my job, all these things you give me, thank you for them. And and not just so I can enjoy them, but just thank you for giving them to me. Help me to use them for you. All of that should be part of the basis of worship. But they're not just given to us for the sake of worship. Flip back now to Matthew 25, please. And again in verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And then down to verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Here is Luke's account of this. A certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas or 10 pieces of wealth and said, do business till I come. You see, God hasn't just given these things to us so that we'll say, Thank you, God. He's given them to us so that we will do business for Him till He comes. Do business till I come. That's why this third point is here. Jesus expects us to do His ministry with His valuables. Look again at verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and He settled accounts. He who had received five brought five and and so on. And then there is a reward given. Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll give you a little sidebar here. You you know, sometimes we talk about heaven and there are even songs who talk about wanting to hear the Lord say, well done. This is where it comes from. It doesn't come from the book of Revelation or or some other piece. It comes from here where, where Christ clearly intimates to us there's going to come a day when you're going to stand in front of me and I'm going to look at your life. And you're either going to be like the five-talent guy, the two-talent guy, or the one-talent guy. And certainly the desire of our hearts would be to be like a five or a two person, depending on our ability that he's given us, because he will take an accounting of our lives. We must all appear before the... The reward seat, literally, is what that means. It's not a seat of judgment as to whether you get into heaven or not. It's not like that. It's a a seat of evaluation. The evaluation seat of Christ. That each may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is not really a comfortable truth. It's not comfortable for me to preach it because I have to live under the same thing. But there will be a day when we will stand at the feet of Christ, He will be sitting, and the net effect of that time will be reward. The net effect. But the process of reward will come to us through evaluation. Using... What we have been given by Christ, for Christ, isn't an option that we choose. It's a mandate that we're under. He says, look, I've put my possessions in your hand. Someday I'm going to take an account of those things. The question we should be asking is, how do you want me to be using these things? I'm not real proud of my college transcript. I learned a lot in college, but especially in the first couple of years, I was unmotivated and undisciplined when it came to homework, and so I got very mediocre grades. I have a copy of that transcript. I have to send it different places at different times for different purposes, and I'm not proud of it. Now, I had good fellowship in college, and I did graduate. I did good enough to graduate, and in my later couple of years, for sure, I did much better. Uh, on the, uh, I did much better on proving that I actually had learned something. How will it be when God reads your report card? That's that's what that's what this is talking about here. Okay, And again, it's not a matter of do you get into heaven or not. That's already been settled when you put your faith in Christ. But the question is, when you stand to say, here are the talents you gave me, and here are the others that I earned, and God looks at that, Christ looks at that, how will that report card be? The guiding principle for our life right here needs to be like this. None of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Is your life lived for Christ? Is the anticipation of death lived for Christ? Because Jesus will reward the work that we have done for him. This is the privilege. This is the continuation of the privilege. The first part of the privilege is just that God has put his ministry in our hands, but the continuation is that he's going to reward us for what we do. Look at Matthew twenty-five, twenty-one. Well done, good and faithful servant. The image that always comes to my mind from life it's when I got a varsity letter in tennis. I was talking to Lyle Hughes about playing tennis this week, and I know Danny played tennis, and I'm sure he played it much better than I because he's much more of an athlete than I ever thought about being. But I love playing tennis, and I got a varsity letter, which was really my goal in life. Get that letter jacket, you know. And when the coach, the coach said, Lunsford came through in the clutch. I didn't win a lot, but I won one that mattered. And I thought, yeah, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a pretty poor comparison to what it will be like if Christ says, well done. How, how huge will that be? We can't imagine. We can't imagine. But you know, you know what this says here? D- did you take note of this? Well done. You were faithful over a few things. What's the reward? I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You think, is that just from the parable? Is that just a parable statement, or is that something for us? Well, I'll tell you what, this answers the question. And they sang a new song. This is in heaven. This is a scene from heaven in the future. And all of the believers are around Christ saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us. That's us. Only human beings are redeemed, not angels or anybody else. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us, what? Kings. Kings and priests to our God. We think a lot about worshiping God, but we don't talk a lot about the fact that God says someday he's going to make us kings. I believe it's it's both in the millennial kingdom and, and perhaps even in the new heaven and new earth those who come to faith in Christ during this church age and who serve him well. The scripture says if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. I don't know, I I can't factor this all out for you and say this is exactly how it works, but I know that God says we're going to be kings with him. Another aspect of our reward is spelled out here in 1 Corinthians 3. And it goes together with the, with the whole element of being a king. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, in other words, you, the foundation is the beginning of the Christian life, is Jesus Christ, but you build on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or sin, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. In other words, is your work Gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, straw. How will we know? Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Clearly, what he's saying is that God is going to apply the fire of his gaze, the fire of his judgment, the fire of his vision to the things of our life, and some of that stuff is going to be wood, hay, and straw, and consumed just like that. It's going to be our sinful deeds, our selfish deeds, the things we have done for ourselves and not for Christ. But there will be something left, and God calls it gold, silver, precious stone. And I believe that God takes that gold, silver, and precious stone and makes it into crowns of gold, Round the throne were 24 thrones and on the thrones 24 elders and I don't have time to explain to you how I believe that that is us and there's clear evidence of that in the, in the book of Revelation. Clothed in white robes typical of the righteousness of Christ with crowns of gold on their heads. Where does the crown of gold come from? It comes from our dedicated service to him. Now, you have to know that God's reward of us is the most unfair thing in the world. You know why it's unfair? Why are you even able to do something for God? Because God chose you and saved you and put those possessions at your fingertips so you could use them for Him. And then at the end, He goes, Well done, good and faithful servant! And that's why the book of Revelation says we will throw our crowns at his feet. Because then we will will have a perfect realization of going, no, no, it's not me, it's you. You did all this through me. You deserve all of the worship. And we'll take those crowns off and give them to him. But God's going to give them to us. God's going to recognize our service. There will be the opportunity to reign with him and there will be a recognition of our deeds. What a privilege. What a privilege. But back in Matthew 25, we also realize there's a responsibility. Look at verse 26 to the one who just had one, uh, verse 25, "I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground, and look, there you have what is yours." But his Lord answered and said, "You wicked and lazy servant." You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received the interest. Therefore, take that talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. Now, I understand that some of you who might be young in the Lord are going, Oh, are you telling me if I don't get busy for the Lord, God's going to take my salvation away from me? No, that is not what the Scripture says. What the scripture says is that God has put his valuables down where human beings can receive them. And the receiving of that begins with salvation. Jesus put it this way here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. He's not saying we have to do things to earn salvation, but he's saying when I give you my word and it contains the truth of Christ dying on the cross and you being a sinner and that faith is the only way to that, I have put that possession at your hand. If you're sitting here in church today, you heard that truth at least twice, once now and once at communion. And you're going to walk out of here today having done something with that truth. And what God is saying is, look, I put my possessions in your hands and you just took it and stuck it in the ground and thought someday you'd come back and say, well, I went to church. And he'd say, you wicked and lazy servant, you should have taken that truth that you learned and stuck it into your life and believed on me and become my child and done things for me. This wicked servant, this person here, is the person who receives God's valuables, but fails to use them. It's the person who comes to church and says, boy, I'd like to be in church. These are good people. And people avail themselves of the church. Maybe they have a good friend who's a Christian. Boy, I can count on that guy. And what that is, is... God has put the Holy Spirit in that believer and that person is with you and maybe you even look at his life and go well I know the Lord's touched that guy he used to be this way now he's this way and I can see the Lord at work and I've heard God's word and all this exposure to the valuables of God and what have you done with it? Well if you've never appropriated it inside so that it changes your life then you're going to be like this person right here who comes up to not the Bema seat, not the reward seat of Christ, but to the great white throne and says, Lord, Lord, didn't I do a lot of religious stuff in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. We can't earn our salvation by religious activity. But the proof of our salvation is the impact it makes in our life. The proof of our salvation is the impact it makes. You don't have to prove it to me. not about proving it to me. It's not about proving it to the church. It's about demonstrating it to you and to God. When you truly believe in Christ as your Savior, it changes you. You want to be with the people of God. You want to do things for the Lord. You want to be part of this great ministry that He's doing. You want to live righteously. And friend, if those desires are not in you, then maybe you've just been around the stuff of God and it hasn't gotten into you. It scares me to think that you might or some people of the past might have attended this church and not gotten the importance of salvation clear and so acted on it. Oh, friend, if you know the truth of God, act on it today. Don't, don't put it off. I had a friend years ago who worked for Boeing. Actually, he didn't, he worked for a large computer company at Boeing. He repaired computers there. And one week I said, well, what what did you do today? Or what did you do this week? He said, well, I had to do a repair, and they gave me one hour to fix this machine. They're going to shut the machine down, then I have to fix it, and then it's got to come back up in an hour because it costs Boeing $100,000 an hour that that machine is not working. No pressure there. What a privilege and what a responsibility he held in his hands. But it's nothing, it's nothing compared to this. It's nothing compared to the ministry of Christ that God has put in our hands. And he said, will you please carry it out for me? I can't be there in person right now. Will you please carry it out? Will you please make a spiritual profit so that when I come back, you will be rewarded and my kingdom will be enlarged? Heavenly Father, help us. It's so easy to just go on our own way, live in our own little bubble, Be busy about the stuff of this world. And to forget that you are our Lord and Master and you've entrusted some things to us. Father, help us today. Father, help us to long for for your approval and the approval of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to see the changes we need to make. I pray in Christ's name, amen.